are starting a five-week series. Was going to be six weeks, but because of the weather, it's five weeks, and that's going to be fine. A five-week series, and the title is Believe. Believe. And there's, it's funny kind of how I came to this. Typically in my own life, the Lord has me teaching what he's teaching me. And so he's teaching me deep down in my guts that I need to grow in this area of belief. And one of the ways I came to kind of realize this is, it's so silly, but I'm going to share it with you. I have a, new, a fairly new dog. Her name is Jessie Diane, because every dog deserves two names. Jessie Diane is her name. And I've had her for about a year. But I got her, I don't know if you remember, my dog that I had before her's name was Chloe. And Chloe I got as a little bitty puppy, and I had her for 16 years. And when she died, a part, I know, a part of me died. I was, are any of y'all nutsos for your dogs? I'm a nut job for my dog. And when she died, I was like, well, it's going to be at least a year before I get another dog. And Chloe was a puppy, so I had her from the time she was nine weeks old all the way through to 16 years. Well, after about, I thought, well, I'll wait about a year and then I'll get another dog because I need to grieve. Within a month, I had another dog because I was like, I got to have a dog. I just, I love them. That's, it's just unconditional love for me. So I started praying and said, Lord, who's the dog? Get, bring the dog to me that you want me to have. I literally prayed that. Bring the dog to me, but I want her to be beautiful. And I want her to be statuesque. I would love for her to be like... Um, I don't know, something Parisian. I don't know. I don't know what that is. But, but in my mind, I had this gorgeous dog. And y'all should see Jessie. She is sweet. She is sweet. But gor <laughs> gorgeous is not how you might describe her. She, I know. I need to send a picture. She, is, um, she really is the sweetest dog. But she came. She's a rescue dog. And she came from a home that she was not well cared for. She was neglected. And so I get Jesse into my home, and I am just loving on Jesse, and I'm noticing some quirky traits about this dog right off the bat. When I leave, and let me tell you something, I feed her in the morning, and I feed her in the afternoon, and she gets about a thousand treats in between. I am over the top with this dog, so she's not in lack of anything. But I was noticing when I would leave the house, I would come home. And she would wait till I was gone, and she gets into the trash, and all of a sudden I'd see wrappers, uh, paper plates all over my house where she had gotten them and had eaten the food and licked it dry, and I was like, what is going on with this dog? Second thing I noticed is that when she would leave, I would open the door for her to go out and do her business. She was super timid about going outside. Yet, when I would put her on a leash and jog with her, she was all over it. She was so excited. But she was not into me opening the door and sending her outside because I think she was afraid that I wouldn't let her back in. And after a while, I started to get irritated by this. I was like, this dog is going back. If she doesn't, no, she was already in my heart. But I was watching this dog and I was like, Jesse, Jesse Diane, let me tell you something. You have hit the jackpot with the Seifert household. You are in your promised land, Jesse. I was like, you are never going to miss a meal, Jesse. I'm always going to feed you. And that couch, if you want to sit on it, go ahead, jump on it. If you want to crawl under the bed sheets next to me and sleep next to me once Jason falls asleep, do it. Come on. You're never going to miss a meal. Do you want another treat? I'm going to give you another treat. You have hit the jackpot. You don't need to be afraid. And yet she was just wired, hardwired to believe 
that she wasn't going to get the right amount of food and she wasn't going to be able to be let back in the house. And it was so funny because in like mid-sentence as I'm trying to talk to this dog, I sense the Lord just say to me, Laura, you're just like that. You're just like that. I've never allowed you to miss a meal. I've always taken care of you. I've never not been with you. And yet something in you doesn't fully believe that that's true. And I just want you to believe me, Laura. I just want you to believe me. I just want my dog to believe me so that she can rest, so that she can enjoy what's already hers. Already hers. You've got the lay of the land, Jesse. Just believe it. Because if you don't believe it, you're going to be frantic all the time. You're never going to be able to fully rest in my presence because you're so afraid I might leave you. And man, I'm telling you, that hit me between the eyes like a two by four. And I thought, that's true. And over Christmas break, I was preparing to speak at a church and I was asking the Lord, what should I teach? And I was looking through the uh, Gospel of Luke and a verse in Luke chapter 1, verse 45 is the anchor verse for this study because when the Lord shared that with me, it, it, like I've read the verse a hundred times, I've taught the verse, but it popped off the page. And it's right after Mary, the mother of Jesus, is told by the angel Gabriel that she's going to bear the Messiah, that she is indeed pregnant, and that she's going to bear the Son of God. She's going to give birth to him and be his mother. And she believes God. She believes this crazy angel, this whole story, she believes it. And when she believed it, she got so overwhelmed, she ran to her cousin Elizabeth's house, and she's telling Elizabeth the news, and Elizabeth looks at Mary, and some of you may know this, but let me tell you what Elizabeth said to Mary. She said, Mary, you are blessed above all women because you believe that God's going to do what he said he's going to do. Mary, you are blessed above all women just because you believed God. And when I read that, I felt like the Lord said, I just want you to believe me. I just want you to believe me, Laura. You work so hard for me. You do so many things for me. You strive to be the best wife and the best mom and to lead Yes Ministries. You, you do all these things in my name, but really, I just want you to believe me. Because you wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning a lot with tense shoulders and a clenched jaw. Because you're not quite sure I'm going to come through. You're not quite sure that I'm really present. You're not quite sure. You don't fully believe what you profess to believe. And we're going to do time together this semester. And you're going to believe me in the little daily steps of your life. Because for me, it's easy for me when my back's against the wall and I'm in a crisis to press in because I'm desperate and to believe him. But it's the daily trips to the grocery store. It's the daily tensions that can be in your home among the relationships that are most important to you. It's the daily minutia of life where I fail to see that he's intimately involved. I fail to remember, oh, no, 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 he's here too. He be I, I believe you, Lord. I believe that you care more about my marriage than I do. I believe that you care more about Ben's benchmark test that he has today than I do. I believe that you're present with my nine-year-old daughter. Do I believe that? 
Or am I frantic in the middle of the night praying that she does well? And it's not that I don't pray for my children, but I'm signaled to myself that there's an area of unbelief when my anxiety is too high. Scripture says, be anxious for nothing. For nothing? Wait, sh- wait, 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 wait. My kids, that warrants anxiety. That warrants a little anxiety. Mm-mm, be anxious for nothing. Why? Because I've got you. Because I, ca- I knit Beth together in your womb. You didn't, Laura. All the days are ordained for her before one of them have come to be. I've done that. My plans for her are good plans. So are you going to believe me or not? And that's how this study was born. Because for the next five weeks, for the, as long as God has me on this journey, I am going to begin to walk with him in the daily life in areas that are typically easy for me to forget about him. And I'm going to be intentional about thinking and believing that he's with me, that he sees me, that he's good, that he's worthy of my trust, that nothing is too small for him, that he's intimately acquainted with all of my ways. And you're going to do that too. And we are going to do that together. We're going to do it together. And so as I began to jump into this, and the Lord began to teach me in this, and the study was birthed in my mind, I began to pray about this lesson. How do we kick this off? And the Lord led me back to the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1 is where we'll start. And we're going to walk through a few verses, and we're going to talk about them together. And we're going to see where unbelief came into play and the devastation that it brought. So, doesn't that sound exciting? (laughs) Can't wait. All right, if you have a Bible with you or you have a a smartphone and you've got a Bible app, you want to be in Genesis chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 26 and we're going to walk through a few of these verses. If you don't have your Bible, it's okay, just listen. Don't frantic, don't don't worry about it. Don't try and download an app right now, you don't have time. (laughs) All right. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Now, let me give you a little backdrop. God has just made all the birds of the air and the animals to roam and the sky and the stars and the sea, and it's good and it's good and it's good and it's good. And now he's about to make man, and look at what he says. It says, then God said, verse 26, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Verse 27 says, So God created human beings in his own image. Another translation will say, in his likeness. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then look at what God does. It says in verse 28, Then God blessed them. What did he do? He blessed them. And then he said, be fruitful and multiply. And he goes on to say, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. This is what a promised land looks like. This is what you're hardwired for. And I'll go on in just a second to describe it and unpack it. But I want you to see a little farther down, you don't need to turn to it, in chapter 2, after he begins to do all of this, chapter 2, verse 25, it says this about the man and the woman. It says, and they were both naked and unashamed. They were both naked and unashamed. 
So the Lord has created man and woman in his likeness, and he's given them the Garden of Eden. And in the Garden of Eden, he says this, he blesses them. Do you know what the word blessed in the New Testament means? It's translated. It means to be made happy. To be made happy. The word blessed, to have God's favor, is to be made happy. We could stop right there, and I could just teach all day on that. It's his favor. It's to be made happy in his favor. Blessed. So he blessed them, which means they're in union with him. They're in connection with God. They're in harmony with God. They're in communion with him, and it's easy, and it's fluid, and it's rich. And they're not waking up wondering, God, do you see me? God, do you hear me? God, are you going to come through in this one area? They're not asking that question. They don't even have the need to ask the question because he's blessed them. And he's blessed them because they're in right relationship with him. They're at peace with God. And so they're not worried if God's mad at them, if he's disappointed, if he's left them, if he's abandoned, if he's indifferent to them. That doesn't cross their mind. That's not on their radar. They've been blessed. Second, God says, be fruitful. Be fruitful. Have you ever asked yourself at the end of the day, what have I done today? Have I done anything with my life that's productive? Your husband may have asked you that. <laughs> what you been doing today, babe? When God says be fruitful... When he says be fruitful, he knows that we're hardwired. We're hardwired to have purpose. We're hardwired to put our hand to a task and to see it succeed. We're hardwired for that. We're hardwired to leave a legacy, to leave a mark. That's not selfish ambition. That's the way we were made. We're hardwired for it. And he says be fruitful. Be fruitful. Second thing he says is multiply. Multiply. Grow. Grow, not just with re reproduction in other human beings, but grow in everything that you do. Grow in knowledge of me. Grow in your happiness with me. Grow in intimacy with each other. Grow, grow, and grow. Have you ever felt stagnant? Is that a fun feeling? It's the worst. It's the worst. Have you ever felt like you're in a holding pattern and you just circle around the same tree over and over and over? If you're in a relationship, whether it be a best friend or it be a husband or spouse or with kids, have you ever circled around the same drain and you think, we keep having that same fight? We're 16 years down the road. We're still talking about this. Are we ever going to grow past this? And then he says, govern, govern. Do you know what that means? It means you get to be in control and it's a healthy level of control. To govern. We're so skewed in what that means. But we're hardwired. We're hardwired to lead. We're hardwired to lead, whether it be our family, whoever our sphere of influence is, we're hardwired for it. And then it says they were both naked and not ashamed. Do you know what that means? That means they were free. That means they were free. I want you to think about a time in your life when you felt exposed when you felt like the curtains had been pulled back and you weren't necessarily excited about that. That was scary, to be that exposed. And then on the other side of that exposure came acceptance. Have you ever experienced that? I remember the first time I was consciously aware of that feeling 
um, I was in high school. I was a senior in high school, and I was on the cheerleading squad. I guess you say squad. And I was a senior, and we were my my friend Stacy Powell, who watches. She's probably watching, or she'll be watching this. Uh, we were driving back on the school bus from a game together. And I remember sitting next to her, and we were not the best of friends yet. We were just happened to be sitting next to each other. But we were getting, we were building rapport, and we were ha- it, our friendship was really fun. And I remember in the moment, I thought, I'm going to share this with her. And this is scary, because I've not shared this with anybody. And I, I honestly can't really remember what it was, but I just remember it was exposure, and it was vulnerable, and I was about to peel back the curtain. And I thought, she is either going to look at me and go, you're weird, and I don't know that I can hang out with you, or she's going to go, you're weird, and I like you. <laughs> and it was B. She said, I remember sharing it, and she goes, oh, my God, me too. And we, we were running buddies all our senior year, thick as thieves. And I just remember in that moment, the feeling of being utterly known and accepted is powerful. And it's, you're hardwired for it. And so when the Lord says to us in his word, the man and woman were both naked and they were unashamed, they were not just physically naked, they were totally exposed. And the experience they had was, me too. I think it's great. I think you're great. To be self-conscious was not on their radar. To experience shame, and we've talked about this before, shame, the acronym that I like to use for shame is self Hatred at my expense. Self-hatred is that cover up because I'm not okay. Cover up. Self-hatred at my expense because I cover up and because I feel the need to hide, I don't step out into the calling that God's had on my life. I don't even enjoy life. I'm not free. They were free. This is what it looks like to be in right relationship as God intended with him. He made you in his likeness. He delights in you. He delights in you. He loves you. He loves, loves, loves you. He's got plans for you that you couldn't even dream of for yourself. And he just wants you to believe him. He just wants you to believe him. And he just wanted Adam and Eve to believe him, to believe him to the point he gave him a choice in the garden and he said, listen, you can govern all of it. You can eat from any tree, but I'm telling you now, don't eat from the tree in the middle, the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat it because you're going to die. He gives them a warning and he just wants them to trust him. Just believe me. Just believe me. And that's where we pick up the story in chapter 3. And here's where we see It all spiral downhill. Chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent, the serpent is Satan disguised as a snake. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, Did God really say that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Did God really say that? What is he doing right then? He's planting just a little seed of doubt. 
And here's what I think is interesting. He says, did God really say? I think what he's doing is he's challenging Eve's ability to understand. I think he's challenging her own intellect. Because later we see him come, come at God's character. But basically, have you, ever, have you ever been maybe at Bible study or you've been in church, you've heard something, a podcast or something, and you sense God speak to you. You sensed it jump off the page like I did when I read Luke 145 again. And you like, that's for me. And then 10 minutes later, you're in your car and you're like, ah, that may have just been gas. I don't know if I really heard that correctly. <laughs> have you ever done that? You begin to doubt your own intellect. You begin to doubt that you can hear God. You begin to doubt that it's right. I don't know. God told me to call her, but I'm nervous if I call her, she's going to not expect that call. It's going to be weird. And I'm inserting myself into her life. Should I do that? Ah, I probably didn't hear that. I'm going to move on. That's, what, that's where we see this originate. The enemy is crafty. He's cunning. He's the shrewdest. And he's roaring around like a lion seeking someone to devour. And he starts in a really gentle, seemingly gentle way. Did God really say that to you? Did he, you're kind of an idiot. Did he really say that to you? Here's what Eve says back to him. In verse 2, she says, Of course we may eat fruit from any of the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it, because if you do, you will die. What does Eve know? She knows the word of God. She knows what God said. She knows the word of God. She's just never been challenged on the Word of God. Her belief has never been challenged. And so it's been very easy for her to abstain from that middle tree. She's never been challenged. And so all of a sudden the day arrives and she's now challenged in her beliefs. I remember I came to Christ when I was eight years old at Camp Gilmont. I had Christian friends growing up. I was living in a home that was a Christian home and so I was never challenged in that belief. I went to, in high school, I ran with a youth group. All of my good friends were believers too. I went to college, got involved in a college ministry, teaching Bible studies, could spout off the word of God to you. I knew it backwards and forwards, never being challenged on it. Graduated, moved to Houston, started working at a nonprofit, and let me tell you, it was a melting pot of diversity and especially of diverse belief systems. And I'll never forget the first time in my life when someone said, do you really believe that? You really believe that? And I liked this guy. I didn't like liking like him, but I liked him. And I wanted his approval. I wanted him to like me. And all of a sudden I felt not fully stupid yet, but I was kind of like, well, yeah, I do believe that. And it was the first time I'd been challenged in my belief. And I was not ready for it. Why? Because all of the knowledge that I had about God, everything I believed in my head was not down in my guts. Because the word believe in scripture is a Greek word and it's pistuo. And it means this. It does not mean, it's not talking about intellectual assent. It's a belief that in, in the actual definition, let me read it to you so that I make sure I don't get it wrong, is this. It says to believe to put one's faith in, to trust with an implication that actions 
based on that belief will follow. What is that definition saying to me? That God intends when we read that word believe, what he means when he says that to us in scripture is that you believe him beyond the point of like, well, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I check yes. I'm a Christian on any survey I fill out. No, no, no. He's saying, I want you to bank on it. I want you to believe me to the point that you'll go back to sleep at 3 a.m. and really be anxious for nothing. I want you to believe me to the point that when I tell you that I care more about your marriage than you do, that you'll believe me and you'll find peace there. I want you to believe me to the point when I say take care of your neighbor that you're actually going to call her. I want you to believe me to the point that that belief is a guttural understanding that leads you to action. And the action may mean to step out and do something. It may mean to step back and shut up. It may mean that you wait in faith, believing that God sees you, that you do not lose hope. Because you believe him. You believe him. Pestuo, believe him. I had never been challenged in my belief system Therefore, I had not yet exercised my belief. And so all of a sudden, all these verses that I knew were flying out of my head, and I didn't remember them, and all I cared about is that I was accepted at happy hour. I don't want to be the token weirdo. I don't want to be that. And it derailed me for several years. Just like we're going to see that it derails Eve. When you're challenged, and you will be, and especially if you take God at his word and you actually begin to walk in it, you will feel like you're swimming upstream. He tells us that. Expect it. But what's on the other side is so worth it. But let's see what Eve does when she's challenged. So she repeats the word of God back to him yet. I mean, back to him and says, no, this is what God says. I know what the word of God says. She just doesn't really believe it yet. And then he comes at her at the jugular. And he says in verse 4, he says, you're not going to die. You won't die. The warning that he gave you is way bigger than is the reality of it. You won't die. In other words, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that big a deal. You know you want that. You know you want to say it. You know you want to grab the reins and fix it and control it. You know you want to step in when you need to step out. You know you want to. And the enemy is saying, it's not that big a deal. It's not that big a deal. It's just not. You're going to be fine. That's between you and your computer screen. That is between you and your friend. It's not going to affect your kids. That is between you and just your own thought life. That's between you and your debit card. It's nobody else's. You earn that money. And yeah, maybe he earned the money, but I'm at home doing this. It's mine too. It doesn't affect anybody. We'll figure it out. Not that big a deal. If it's not that big a deal, then why would the word of God be don't do it? You're going to die. Don't do it. Don't do it. God's word is true. She just didn't believe it. The enemy was cunning, he was shrewd, and he was convincing. And we see this in verse 6. It says, the woman was convinced. She knew the word of God. She's been presented with the word of the enemy, and she's convinced that his word is true. She's convinced. 
You might know the Word of God, but do you believe it to the point that you're convinced that you will act on it, that you will stake your life on it? She's convinced that the enemy's right. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. Now you'll see up in verse 5 when God says, God knows that you're, he says, you won't die. And he says, God knows that if you eat it, your eyes will be opened as soon as you do, and you'll be like God. Now remember, in chapter 1, we saw God say, let's make man in our likeness, humankind in our likeness. They already have what the enemy is trying to convince her she needs. They already have it. Philippians 4.19, Paul says, And this same God that cares for me will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. But there's an enemy that will tell you, you don't have what you need. And if you want to get what you need, you're going to have to step outside of God's word and get it. And here's the beauty of it, he says, it's not going to hurt you. It's not going to hurt anybody else. Let's see how that worked out for her. In verse 7, it says, So she ate the fruit, gave it to Adam, they both ate it. It says, At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt what? Shame. They suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover up. Not going to be exposed any longer. They suddenly felt shame. Their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame. What did the enemy promise to deliver? Wisdom. What did he actually deliver? Shame. Shame. Promises wisdom delivers shame. The only way that you will know in reality, in experiential reality, that this is true is when you begin to take God at his word. I'm going to trust it. I don't feel it. It feels scary. I'm going to do it. feels like I'm jumping off a cliff, but I'm going to do it. And you're going to recognize when we do, he actually catches us. His word is worth banking our lives on. And at that moment, she felt shame, and they began to hide and cover up, and we've been doing it ever since. There were several of us that walked in today thinking, I don't even know if I'm wearing the right thing to this. <laughs> Good Lord, I know I'm going to say something stupid. I, don't, I hate a group of women because I never feel like I fit. Why is that? Because you feel shame. What did Jesus die for? Your freedom. So that you don't have to feel that. That was never something he intended. Had Eve believed him, just believed him, it would have saved all of us a lot of pain. Sin is now in the picture. Shame is now residing. And God, again, begins to pursue. And redemption is set in place. In verse 8, it says, When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord among the trees. They hid from him. Many of us in the room today hide from the Lord all the time. Then the Lord called to the man, Where are you? Some of us need to know today is that the Lord is calling your name and he's saying, Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? In verse 10 it says, Adam replies, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. Why? Because I was afraid. Before this, they didn't even know fear. Fear was not in their vocabulary. Verse 11, the Lord says this, Who told you you were naked? Who told you you were naked? The Lord asked. I, heard a I watched a teaching on this not long ago, and it slayed me. 
Just that idea of who, the Lord saying, who told you you were naked? It wasn't the Lord. Who told you you were naked? Who told you you're not enough? Who told you you're too much? Who told you that you're always going to struggle with the same issue? Who told you you'll never have that dream come true? Who told you you'll be single and alone the rest of your life? Who told you you should just stay shut, just shut down? Who told you these things? I think the reason the Lord asked that question, it's not because he needed to know the answer. It's because he needed them to know the answer. He needed them to understand, wait a second, who am I believing? What am I believing? On the back of your card, that blue card that's on your table, on the back of it, it says, God, I believe. And the reason we have that is because for the next five weeks, we're going to begin to ask ourselves, what do I really believe? What do I really believe? Because we see what happened. Because they really believed the enemy over the word of God, they were banished from the garden, and it's been a hellstorm since. And the Lord has been working a plan of redemption through Jesus Christ to bring us back into that relationship with himself. To redeem us from the pit. But it started because she believed something that wasn't true. And because she believed it, she acted. And because she acted, there were consequences that were grave. One of which is she lost freedom. She lost freedom. And Jesus says, it is for freedom that I have set you free. It is for freedom. And so as we move forward, I want you to begin to ask the question, God, what do I really believe? And I don't want you to analyze it much. I just want you to kind of look at yourself as a reporter and I want you to write it down. What do I believe? And you may believe you'll probably find that you believe some things that are really true, but you believe a lot of things that are not. And what the enemy is so crafty at doing is he sounds like our own voice. And so his voice sounds super, really, really natural to the point that I don't catch it a lot of times. So I just want you to begin to explore. Go on a journey with me for the next five weeks and ask yourself, ask the Lord, Lord, would you reveal what is it that I really believe? And then I want you to start writing it down and recording it. And then I want you to look at it. And I want you to hold it before the Lord and go, is that true? Is that true? And if you recognize that it's not true, I want you to ask the Lord, then what is true? And we're going to learn to take every thought captive, like Scripture tells us to do. Take every thought captive. We have to know what it is we believe. Scripture says that we're transformed when we renew our mind, when we begin to really stop and go, wait a second, what is I'm really believing? That's not true at all. I don't have to believe that anymore. I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to believe what the Word of God says, and as a result, I feel lighter. I sleep a lot better. I'm actually a lot more joyful. Typically, before um, a study like this starts, a series starts, I feel attacked a lot, and the attack that comes to me is this pressure that we've got to carry this, this pressure of like, God, are you really going to say something? 
through me? Is this going to be the time that nobody, just all those insecurities in me will come up and the enemy just has a heyday. And I'm so used to it because I've been teaching so long that I typically don't really even catch it. Or if I do, I just go, Lord, help. Or... And what the Lord has been doing in me this year is, no, 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 no. You're going to choose to believe God's word over your own fear, Laura. And the result is I've had such peace and such rest at the beginning of this semester. Even when the curveball of the weather was thrown in and we had to miss last week, I was okay. I was like, Lord, for whatever reason, you want us to start this week. Thank you. We're going to do that. I'm not going to waste a bit of energy fretting over something that is out of my control. You got this, Lord. This is your ministry. This is your word. Use me as you see fit. But I'm not going to carry a burden I was never intended to carry. Why am I experiencing that peace? Because I actually am believing that. I'm believing that. So what is it that you believe? What is it that you believe? Ask the question. And then let's journey together to get to the truth of what is true in God's word. And I think the result will be freedom that's been paid for. We actually get to experience. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we come to you today and we, um, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that you see each one of us. No one is outside of your mind's eye. You love us. You're passionate about us. You've got joy for us that is overwhelming. And we want to taste it. Lord, we were intended to walk freely as your daughters. You paid a gruesome death on the cross to buy that freedom back for us. May we recognize that we already live in the promised land house with you. We don't have to freak out and make sure our needs are going to be met because you promise you're going to meet them. So could you, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you take that head knowledge and move it down to our guts and let us believe. Give us the courage we need to believe you. And I pray that there's a watching world that will go, I need that, I want that, and that you will be lifted high and you will draw women to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, ladies, we'll see you next week.